0: Good morning to each one of you. Greetings in Jesus' name. It is good to be here to worship with you. And a couple of weeks, maybe it's been longer than that. I asked this question another time. For those of you all that were here when I preached the last time, how many of you all were here the last time I preached here? Okay. Do y'all have any recollection of what I preached about? I'm a teacher by heart, by mind, by... I guess I'm not in there now, but I just kind of have that in me to see if anybody remembers anything besides my family. Well, the the other week that I preached here, I preached... The title of the message was The Godly Design. And I shared about men's place in the home. Anybody remember that now? Okay, good. Well, I wrote a sequel as the Lord led to that. And this is The Godly Design Part 2. Now we get concerned about things that cause us to move away from God. And, he, and at our church at Bethany not so long ago, we studied on Wednesday evening of some of the dangers that we face as a Christian church. We t- talked about postmodernism. We talked about Calvinism. We talked about the influence of society. We talked about false religions. We even talked about technology. And those things are something that we need to be careful of. But one thing that I see that society is having an effect on, and that is our homes, our families, and even the proper order of headship. And so as I share this morning, ladies, I'm not aiming in particular at knocking you down, but hopefully to build you up to be the proper person that God created you to be. And so... Happy Mother's Day. This message is for you. I want you to turn with me, and, and as we as we read over some of these verses, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter two. As we read over some of these verses, you're going to probably recognize those that were here the last time, some of the some of the verses that we shared that I shared from the last time. But I want to go just a little bit further. Now the other week, someone called me and asked me about finding people to go to help out at some of our smaller, struggling congregations. And he told me the other other morning when I talked with him, he said, I have found girls, young ladies that are interested in going, but I can't find any young men. And I thought, wow. Wow. That is a very interesting statement. I found girls that are willing to go, young ladies that are willing to go, but I can't find any young men. And my question is, why? Why can't we find dedicated young men to step up to the plate, to go where they need to go, to do what they need to do to lead out? And I will dare say, it is because of the, the effect of society on the home. And it has affected society, but it is also creeping into our churches, our homes, our families. And that's something that we need to have warning flags out, out about. If we are not concerned about our homes, our families, our young men that are supposed to be leaders for the future, if we're not concerned about that, there will be no future for the church because we need men that are going to step up to the plate to not only lead in the home, but to lead in the church and to lead in society as well. In Genesis chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 20, it talks about Adam, God bringing or creating all of the beasts. In verse 20 it says, and Adam gave names. Said, I'm, I'm going to go back up here just a little bit. In Thinking about this just a little bit. God created Adam. He created all the things that went along with that creation. And then he couldn't find a help that was suitable. And so he brought all these beasts that he created to Adam for him to name them. It says, And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meat for him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof and the rib which the the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh as I shared in the last message, God caused this deep sleep to fall upon Adam because He couldn't find a helpmeet for him. He couldn't find that suitable person that would walk beside him that would care for him and that he could care for. And so He caused this deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And then He reached into his side. And I don't know whether it was the right side or the left side. There tend to be more right-handed people than left-handed people. But again, I don't know. But I can see God reaching into Adam and pulling open that flesh and extracting that rib. And then He took... Now, I want you to think about this. He formed Adam out of the clay, out of the dirt, but He didn't form the woman that way. He reached into the flesh and pulled out something that was already living, that flesh. He pulled it out and then formed this helpmeet, this woman that he was going to present to Adam, his son, to be his helpmeet. And then he closed up the flesh and he brought her to him. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. And then the next verse, to me, almost seems out of context. But as we look at that verse and compare the Scriptures, it's amazing how God brings this all together. In verse 24 it's talking about the I'm verse 23 it's talking about bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man and then it says then therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh That to me is just a little bit astounding He's talking about this helpmeet that he has brought to him, but then he's commanding the man, you know what, you need to leave all these other things behind and cleave unto this woman that I created for you, to help you. This helpmeet, the helpmeet means to help and aid. It comes from a root word meaning to surround, to protect, to aid, to succor. Now this word sucker is not a word that we use very often. But this word sucker means an assistance. Or a support in time of hardship or distress. To give assistance or aid to. And I want you to remember that. Sucker means assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. To give assistance or aid to. The word woman in verse 22, means each and every female. The word wife, in verse 24, means the very same thing. Each and every female. I like words. I like the word meanings. And it's interesting to look in the Greek and the Hebrew of the original writings and see what these words actually do mean. And in the English, they've picked out other words to fit where they should fit, where they should be. Meaning the same thing. Verse twenty-four, one flesh, means by an ex- by extension of the body of a person, the flesh, a kin, a self, or a skin. And if we think about that, as we think about this one flesh being by extension, and you think about how God, in His omniscience reached into Adam and pulled out that rib, that rib that living flesh that living bone and created his helpmate and bring him to him, bring her back to him it is that one flesh reunited and as we look at that and we look at that word those words there therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave or be welded back or welded together Unto his wife, to this woman, to this helpmeet, to this aid in time of need and distress. And this word weld means to fuse together. And I shared that with you the other week. Fusing means to mix together. That when you pull it apart, both parts of flesh come with it. I want you to turn with me, if you will then, to chapter 3 of Genesis. Now we see that Adam and Eve were brought together, husband and wife, one flesh, to cleave together. In verse verse 1 of chapter 3 it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Huh? Wait a minute. and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And I want to pause there just a little bit. This exchange of words, this conversation that the serpent and the woman had together was at a very unique place. I believe it was at a very unique place. And why Eve was there, I'm not exactly sure. But as we read further, It says, she took and ate thereof, and Adam was there with her. But as he caused just a little bit of doubt in her mind of what she believed God had said, then she started to look, and she started to see. And it started her mind going down these paths of, well, what if? Verse six, it says, "In the woman, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat." This helpmeet that God had brought to Adam, this living flesh and bone that He brought back to him, Adam was given the opportunity and the command to teach her. To give her the instruction that God had given him beforehand, that of all the trees that they could partake of, but of that one they were not supposed to eat of it. Now, my question is this. Why was Satan talking to her. Why wasn't Satan talking to the man? Why was Satan talking to her? Why didn't Satan go to Adam and say, hey, what God said, nah, it really don't make sense. And if you take of this tree and eat of it, you're going to live forever. You're going to have knowledge and things are going to be good. You're going to be like God's. He didn't do that to Adam, God's son. But he appealed to the woman. Satan knew what he was doing. He knew that she would be more susceptible. And again, ladies, I'm not knocking you in anything of this. But we recognize through Scripture. And it teaches very clearly in 1 Peter. And I want you to turn there if you want to. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell... "...with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered." Now this weaker vessel does not mean that you are less intelligent, that you are anything less than man, than than what God created. It does not mean that. But this word, weaker vessel... Refers not only to the physical makeup of the woman, but it also refers to her, her figurative and even moral strength. It carries the meaning of being more feeble, impotent, sick, without strength. And again, I share that not as something that you are less than a being, less than someone that is important but only as the way God designed it in His proper design. If we can recognize our proper roles as husband, wife, mother, father, leader, whoever it is, wherever we are, children as well. If we can recognize our proper role and fill that proper spot in God's design, we are going to be blessed by God and we're going to be much happier as we do that. We all know, without a doubt, and, and again, this is not a blanket statement, but in general, females, ladies, are weaker in physical strength than men. We all know that. And again, there are some exceptions to the rule. There's no question about that. And so that's why I say I'm not making a, a, a blanket statement. But we also know that women are emotional beings. And sometimes be are more susceptible. And I believe Satan knows that sometimes women are more susceptible to being tricked or beguiled or led into something. Satan appealed to her heart. And then he, it, by appealing to her heart and her emotions, he was able to establish a little bit of doubt of what God actually told Adam. Adam was supposed to instruct her. And say, this is what God said. This is what we are going to do. And I would assume that Adam probably did instruct her. I would assume that Adam probably did say, this is what God said. But as Satan appealed to her heart, her mind, her emotions... She looked upon the fruit. She saw something as good to eat. She looked at the fruit as something that was pleasant to look at. And we know that ladies like pretty things. My wife loves ferns and flowers and things like that. She saw the fruit as something pleasant to look at. She saw the fruit as something that would also give them wisdom. And you know, we know from history from Native American, that women are gatherers, providers, caregivers. We look at Proverbs, and it teaches us in Proverbs 31:27, It says, she looketh well to the ways of her household. Why? Because of that word sucker, to help in times of distress and need, a helpmeet. Those are some of the things that a woman is physically, emotionally designed to do. It means to surround, to protect, to help, to aid. It means to give assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. To give assistance or aid to. But again, I ask the question, why was Eve the one making the decision under that tree? Didn't she know what Adam told her that God said that they should do or shouldn't do? Why didn't Eve go to Adam and say, wait a minute, Satan, I'm done with this conversation. I need to go talk to my husband because he told me something different than what you're telling me. Why didn't she do that? Satan appealed to her need to help man, her husband. And in that, it caused doubt. And in that, it caused her to question. And in that, she reached and took of that fruit, that forbidden fruit. Was it wrong for her to be at that tree? No. It wasn't wrong for her to be at that tree. Was it wrong for her to look at that tree and look at that fruit? No, it wasn't wrong for her to do that. Was it wrong for her to touch that tree or that fruit? No, it wasn't wrong for that to happen. But God had told them not to partake of this tree. And when they partook of the fruit, and it says he was got, that Adam was with her, everything came tumbling down. And then they personally tried to fix it. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They made aprons out of fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Now, in my mind, I've always pictured a fig, or I've always thought in my mind's eye that a fig leaf was this great big elephant ear leaf. But do you know how big a fig leaf is? How many of y'all know how big a fig leaf is? Okay, about how big is it? This big? This big? About this big? Okay, now we have some smaller figs that are like this, like this, like, like this right here. There are some figs that are like this big around, fig leaves. But I want you to think about that, that. Even if it was a big fig leaf, think about the effort that it took to gather those leaves and sew those leaves together to cover their nakedness. It took a lot of human effort to cover up something needed because of what they had done, because of their disobedience. They attempted to cover their nakedness with human effort. And I want you to think about you and I personally. You know, there are times where you and I sin, we stumble, we fail, And then we try to fix it. Do we gather up these little remedies and try to cover up the things that we did so that people won't see us for who we truly are or what we truly did? I'm human. I fail. And then we try to protect ourselves as much as we possibly can. And yet there is only one remedy, and that's Jesus Christ. And coming to Him in acceptance, in admittance, in repentance, and in acknowledgement that we need Him. Because there is no other remedy. It doesn't matter if we cover ourselves with fig leaves ten deep. All the way around. Only our eyeballs showing. The only remedy... Is Jesus Christ. We can't cover ourselves with enough fig leaves to take care of the sin in our lives. And it would not have mattered if Adam and Eve would have completely covered their whole bodies with these fig leaves because they had sinned against a holy God. And the only remedy was Jesus Christ, was a sacrifice. We see the effects of the curse. For the serpent, it says in verse 14 of chapter 3, it says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. The curse for the woman, he said in verse 16, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now as I read those verses there, especially about the woman, verse 16, I had to stop and think about these words. And then I had to go back and study what these words mean, because why would she have a desire to be to their husband? And why would he rule over her? This word desire means a sense of stretching out after. Now, if you reach out for something that is close by, you can probably grab it, grab it like this glass of water here. I don't have to reach too far to grab a hold of that thing. But if this glass of water were down here on the corner or further out from where my feet are actually standing... I would have to stretch out after it. And that's what this word means. It it means to stretch out after. It means a longing for. It carries the meaning of a desire. But it also comes from a primitive root, meaning to run over or after. And I want you to think about that. To run over or after. It actually means to overflow and because of disobedience, because of sin, women have this desire, and I'm saying this is what Scripture is teaching, as what I've studied in the original language. Women have a desire to run over or after their husbands. And I want you to think about that. I've shared with my wife. I've shared with other people. You know, as we look around us, we see that sometimes women have a desire to... I'll just say it, boss their husbands around, right? They have sometimes that desire to do that. It is because of the curse of sin. It's not because of who you are and your physical, emotional, mental makeup. It's because it is the curse of sin. And it also is because of that disobedience It's not an excuse to say, well, because of sin, I have this desire to overflow or run over or boss my husband around. But remember that curse of sin needed a remedy, and that remedy is Jesus Christ. And we're concerned about these things that come in from society, but we also need to be concerned about the proper headship role that God created in His Godly design. Just because this nature is in us for men not to step up to the plate, like I shared in the last message, just because this nature is in us that men are not to, not stepping up to the plate and that women are picking up the slack, doesn't mean that we need to continue in that pattern. We need to continue in the pattern of following God and His teaching and following His rightful headship order that He established in the very beginning. And it said, Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And that's not meaning a tyrant. That is meaning a proper godly headship order. He was to take his rightful place as a godly leader. And the desire of the woman needs to be tempered by the Word of God. The women, to be a, for, for women to be a helpmeet is marvelous and beautiful. Beautiful when it's designed by God. But we can see what happens to men, to women, to all around us, families that don't allow the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and their lives. When men lay down their roles, I shared this the last time, women pick up the slack. And that's because of that emotional, physical, I mean emotional and makeup emotional, and mental makeup of a woman because she is the helpmeet. It says to surround, to protect, to aid, to succor. Succor means assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. When men lay down their responsibility and women have to pick up the pieces, it affects the home. It affects the children, it affects the church, it affects society, and then it affects the nation and the world. As we look at history, as we look at women's rights, and again, I'm not saying that women's rights are non-existent and non-needed, because I do believe that in their proper place, women have all the rights of men. But how has society affected the nation, the family, the church? I would like to read a little bit of history. I'm a kind of a history buff for you all that don't know me. I like learning new things. I like word meanings. I like looking at history. But it says, in the beginning of the 20th century, Women were regarded as society's guardians of morality. Think about that. Women were regarded as society's guardians of morality. They were seen as possessing a finer nature than men and were expected to act as such. Women were expected to hold their innocence and to wait for the right man to come along and start a family and then transmit that guardian of morality to the generation that comes after. And yet we see the effect of what time and times and change have happened. In the early 1900s, World War I came into being. A lot of men were called into service, men and boys, young men, A lot of husbands and young men were called into the service. And so that left a gap, a hole in the factories, the war machine. They needed somebody to step in to do those jobs so that the war machine could go forward. And who did? The ladies did. The women did. Some of you all, March maybe, remember. Maybe maybe you don't. Rosie the Riveter. Any you remember Rosie the Riveter? Any of you all remember know of Rosie the Riveter? Okay. As we look back, we see some propaganda of the United States government, and it's no no offense at all. But another one of those things was a picture of an old man with a white beard and a hat on with stars and stripes. What did they call him? Uncle Sam. Sam. And what did Uncle Sam do? He said, I want you. And he was pointing to the men that he needed to go into the service. But Rosie the Riveter was another picture of of a lady dressed in working clothes, with a bandana tied up around her hair so that hardly any hair is seen, and her pulling up her sleeve was showing a muscle saying, we can do it. And that message was put out there to draw in those ladies, to work in those factories, to support that war machine. And so they were no longer... The guardian of the home because they were out in the workforce. And time and influence down the road. I want you to think about this. It's not the fact that they went to work. It's the fact that someone else was the guardian of the home. Who was the guardian of the home? The women were off somewhere else. And someone else was asked to step in to be the guardian of the home. And sometimes that was an older sibling. Most times it was an older sibling that was put in charge of the home. And so the guardian of the home was given to someone that was way less mature, way less authoritative, way less able to teach. And so we do see a decline in what God had designed. But as women disregard their rightful place as a helpmeet, they tend to lose obedience. If we look back at the Garden of Eden, when Satan appealed to Eve, he said to her, did God really say? And she started a discussion with Him. Or he, she continued in this discussion with Him. And as she discussed this, and as he appealed to her heart, her mind, emotions, her emotions, he had an effect on her heart, her life. And it caused her to question what God said in His word. And that's what happens today as well. When we question our rightful place, when we question what God has designed, We tend to lose obedience, and Eve fell in obedience. She disobeyed, and she partook of that fruit. When women disregard their rightful place, they tend to fail to submit to authorities, to fathers, to husbands. They tend to lay aside modesty, and then fail to teach it in the home and in the church when women tend when women lose their rightful place the symbol of authority that which we deem to be very good and necessary according to what scripture teaches tends to grow smaller and smaller or even disappear as women lose their rightful place and they lose some of these other things they tend to become more loose in their morals, and even become more vocal and proactive in their cause. So how do we fix it? We do it God's way. It's not what I'm saying, but it's what God says. In Alcoholics Anonymous, my dad was an alcoholic for all of his life. And I remember him going to a clinic and he told us about this Alcoholics Anonymous borrowed a principle from what Scripture teaches. The first step in recovery is to admit that there is a problem. And so that's where we need to be as a church, as a a family, as a husband, as a wife. We need to admit that there is a problem. And then we need to follow the precept of doing it God's way. We need to evaluate our lives And so I want to ask this question. Women, ladies, do you have a desire to run after or over your husband? To overwhelm him, to surround him, to protect him, to succor him? Sometimes we have to come back to where we need to be. We need to accept, admit, and then work on it God's way. We need to get to the root of the problem. We need to deal with the issue. And then we need to start building on the foundation that's tried and true. The problem is sin and the consequences of sin, the consequences of the fall of man. And we know that sin entered through Adam and Eve, humanity, the home, and the church is now reaping the consequences of that. It's not because of women's lives. It's not because of the war machine. It's not because those are all circumstances that happen because of the sin and curse, the curse of man. In Romans 5, verse 19, it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Listen, folks, we are all needy creatures. We are all in need of the covering, not the leaf pile of fig leaves. We are all in need of the covering of Jesus Christ and His shed blood. We all are needy people needing salvation through Him. But sin still has its effects on us today. Turning back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 it says unto the man, unto, and unto Adam he said because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee saying thou shalt not eat of it cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow shalt thou eat all the days of thy life thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field and the sweat of thy face and in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Basically God was saying to Adam, because you listened to your wife instead of me, because you listened to your wife and disobeyed me, you are going to struggle to make a living. And Darren shared about that today. Not that he struggles making a living, but that, you know, we worked our hours. We got in our time. But then another bill comes, and then something else happens. You're going to struggle to make a living. You're going to deal with the thorns and thistles. You're going to have to earn the bread by the sweat of your brow. And you're going to have to be a leader to deal with your, desire, your wife's desire to run over or after. And so be a man and step up to the plate. In the New Testament, God, through the inspired writings of men, said that we were going to have to practice loving. Our wives, and it says in Colossians three, husbands love your wives, and be not embittered against them. In Ephesians five twenty five, it says, "Husbands, love your you love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word." Think about that verse right there, folks. Men especially. We as husbands are to love our wives even as Christ loved the church. Even as Christ gave Himself for the church, we are supposed to give ourselves for our wives. Even as Christ gave Himself to sanctify and cleanse the church through His shed blood, we as men are supposed to sanctify and cleanse our homes through the washing of the water of the Word. Line upon line, precept upon precept. If we don't read it and teach it and keep on going over it time and time again, that's what happens to the clothes that we wear. We get them dirty. We put them on the laundry pile. Our wives, they get them and they wash, take them and wash them and hang them up to dry. They fold them and put them back in. Continual washing of the water of the Word. That's what God's Word does for us. It sanctifies us by washing us over and over and over again. Verse 27, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. My white shirt today, you would not like to see it if it was all blotched and dirty and sweaty from past times that I've worn this shirt But you know, I don't know how many times I've worn this shirt, but many times it has gotten dirty. And my wife takes this thing and she washes it and she makes it white. And then she irons it and it doesn't have a spot or a wrinkle. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church... For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Ladies, being in subjection, following that rightful godly design, is not going to weaken your position. Following God's rightful design is going to strengthen your position in the home, as a wife, as a mother, as a grandmother. As someone that people are looking up to. You don't have to overwhelm and run your husband around to be blessed because it won't work. Because it's not God's design. So if your husband is not taking his proper place in leadership in the home... What are you supposed to do? Well, I'm going to take over. No. It says in 1 Peter 3, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, if any don't step up to the plate, if any don't do his job properly, and I don't know if I said my words grammar right. Was my grammar right, Chris? If any of them do not, don't, if any of them do not follow their proper godly leadership, it says, they also may without the word be won by your lifestyle. Not by telling them what to do, not by bossing them around, not by saying, We've got to do this this way. It says, May without the word be won by the conversation, by the lifestyle of their wives. While they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, coupled with reverence, coupled with respect. I think that's what that word means. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning or plaiting of the hair. And of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man. And this word man, I believe, refers to mankind. Let it be the hidden person. Let it be the hidden woman of the heart, that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. We need to do it God's way, not the way that we think it's going to work. Society has put a lot of emphasis on women's rights, and this is the way women need to stand up for their rights. God's design was to do it His way. It says, For after this manner in time, old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement." The godly design is for the building of the kingdom. It's for the saving of souls. It is for the glory of God. And we need to follow that proper headship order. As we do, we can be strengthened in all. I sat down this morning and wrote a poem. I wrote two poems actually. I wrote one to my wife. I wrote one to you all. I won't share the one I wrote to her. In closing, the relationship of a man and wife is a picture of God complete. When we take our proper role and His way for us to seek, the man who loves his bride for life is a better man by far than following the ways of sin and causing many scars. The things we choose, the things we do, the spouse that we pursue will have lasting ripples to those who say, I do. It doesn't just affect the ones who wed without much foresight. It lingers in the lives of those whose eternity is forthright. The God we serve is greater far than tongue or pen can tell. Yet in our minds, we know best when our hearts begin to swell. If we would take our proper place and live the Bible way, our hearts would find the peace we need to leave and cleave and say, I love you more than all the gold this world has us to offer. The love we share is more valuable than what is in the coffer. If we would only look to God, our maker and our friend, He gives to us a better way, a way to to live with Him. May God bless you to find and hold His proper and godly design for our lives. God bless you.